Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today comes from the Old Testament book of Joshua, the first verses of chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord told Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and give them the following orders. Pick up twelve stones from here in the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the feet of the priests are standing securely. Carry them over with you and put them at the place where you will stay tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had selected from the people of Israel, a man from each tribe. Joshua said to them, Go to the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. There each man is to lift up one stone on his shoulder. The number will correspond to the number of the tribes descended from the sons of Israel. So this may be a sign among you when your children ask in the future, What do these stones mean for you? And you shall respond to them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When the Ark passed through the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones will serve as a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. So the people of Israel did just as Joshua had ordered. They picked up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, corresponding to the number of the tribes descended from the sons of Israel, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. They carried the stones over with them to their lodging place, deposit them there. Joshua also set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan, at the spot where the feet of the priests carrying the ark Uh, carrying the Ark of the Covenant had stood. They're there to this day. So far the text. Dear friends in Christ, I spent my entire ministry at only one church up in northern Wisconsin at the resort community of Manaqua. Monaco has a twin city called Woodruff. The church I served was located like where your church is, and then on the other side of Seagull Call Road would be Woodruff. Now, Woodruff claimed a world record. Little bitty city in northern Wisconsin claimed a world record. It claimed to have the world's largest penny. And here's a picture of that penny. That's the penny that has been erected in Woodruff for uh, almost 75 years. Now maybe you're asking, why Woodruff? Why this penny? What's the deal? What's the purpose? 
Well, it's a rather long and amazing story. I'll try to be as succinct as I can. Back in the 1940s, there was a woman doctor named Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate was apparently dearly beloved by the citizenry of the Woodruff. She would make house calls in the middle of winter, and sometimes when the snow was deep and wasn't plowed, she would go into the homes walking on snowshoes. She got the name the Angel on Snowshoes. It was always Dr. Kate's wish and desire that the city of Woodruff would have its own hospital. Every time there was a birth in the community, obviously the mother, but she would have to travel a distance about 30, 35 miles to deliver that baby. And in the middle of winter in northern Wisconsin back in the 40s, that wasn't a very desirable thing. And so she kept wishing there'd be a hospital, and, and there were starts and nothing happened, and there was another start and nothing happened. Then one day, in high school, one of the math classes said, you know, I wonder what a million of something would look like. And they decided to collect a million pennies that they would give to Dr. Kate to build this hospital. And so they did. But this story of Dr. Kate and the collecting of these pennies somehow got out to a producer back in Los Angeles. Now about 1950, give or take, there was a program that came on every Sunday night, as I recall, called This Is Your Life. And on a ruse, they got Dr. Kate out to Los Angeles and called her out of the audience and then throughout the entire United States, her story was presented, and then collecting of these pennies. Well, after that, pennies from all over the United States came to the post office of Woodbury. And then they started coming from around the world. And there were so many pennies that they, they put them in the uh, floor of the gymnasium and, and there's pictures of the men moving the, coi uh, the coins with, with shovels. <laughs> there were so many pennies. And with those pennies, they built a hospital. And then the community put up this memorial, this large You've got to be asking, why am I telling you this? Why, why am I spending so much time telling you this human interest story about a memorial of a penny? Well, congregation, I'd like to have you use the exact same thoughts, the exact same questions that you had in mind a few moments ago about 
why this penny, what does it stand for, what's the story, and whatever, and apply it to the day's text. The day's text speaks about a memorial, a monument being built. It was a monument that consisted of 12 stones, apparently built in the middle of the Jordan River. And so people would ask, like you did, what's the deal with this penny? Future generations would ask, what's the deal with this memorial? What's this monument? What do these stones mean? The very questions you've been asking, what do these stones mean? So I'd like to tell you. Go back in history about 3,400 years. You're in the life of God's chosen Old Testament people, the nation of Israel. It was to that nation that God had made a promise, not because they were so good or because they were so powerful, they only numbered 70 people. From that nation... God would send the Savior. Now that nation got taken down into Egypt, and there they served the slaves for 400 years. And then God freed them from their slavery, had them cross the Red Sea. You're all familiar with that. And then they were 40 years in the wilderness, and now... This monumental moment that when they cross into the promised land, their goal, their desire, the land flowing with milk and honey, all that stood between them was a river, the Jordan River. God told Joshua was now the leader, that the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant were to walk into the Jordan, and as soon as their feet hit the water, the Jordan divided. Now, this is an idea of what that, that looked like. Ignore this for a minute. This is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a little chest that no one could touch. It symbolized the presence of God. And so whenever they carried it, they carried it on these poles so that depending on the elevation, the Ark wouldn't fall. Now in this Ark, the elders of your church said I should do what I'm doing. And this ark, this little chest, it wasn't really anything but tablets of the Ten Commandments, some wafers of manna, and the rod that budded of Moses. 
That's what this was contained. This is called the mercy seat. These are the seraphim. And when the, the uh, feet of these priests carrying the ark hit the water, the waters of the Jordan backed up. The Jordan River flows north and south. The water from the north stopped flowing. The water from the south kept flowing down into the Dead Sea. And so that opening was there so that the children of Israel could walk across from what we call the land of Jordan into the promised land. After the whole nation had crossed, 12 select men were chosen to carry 12 stones on their shoulder, carry them into the promised land, and then erect, not a penny, but erect a memorial, a monument, consisting of those 12 stones. And that's what they did. So that in the future, when this original generation had passed away, future generations would know when they'd see these stones, they'd say, well, what, what is this, what's the story behind these stones? Countless tour, tourists come up northern Wisconsin to Monaco. What, what's the deal with this penny? What do these 12 stones mean? Well, imagine what they could say. God's power, God's love, God's strength, God's concern for this people. You know, practically everyone knows about parting of the Red Sea, but I have found in my ministry not a lot of people knew that not only at the beginning of this journey, but at the end, God performed this miracle of parting the waters. And so that memorial served for as long as it stood as a, shall we say, a talking point. It served as a reminder to the people of what God had done for this special nation. Now, 34 years, 3,400 years ago, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Do we have anything so to speak, comparable today. Is there anything in your life that you look at and say, oh yeah, well, let me give an example. Bible. Now, I don't think our first thoughts go to the Bible as a monument or a memorial, and it shouldn't. A congregation, think of it this way. You and every human being was born with what's called the natural knowledge of God. Every person has this, if you will, programmed into him or her that there's some supreme power, some supreme being. And the natural man says, and I've got to somehow get right with this God. I know I haven't pleased him. And so that's really the foundation of all the religions of the world. And they're all false. 
But God in his love said, I want you to know who I am. And so he gave us this book. He assigned about 40 men to write this book so that you would know who God is. He gave us this book so that you would know the way to God. And so every time this book, as it were, sits on your coffee table, sits by your bed or wherever you read the Bible, you don't even have to be reading it. That's conveying a message. God wanted me to know who he is. He didn't want me to walk around with just this natural knowledge of God. He wanted to reveal himself to me. And so every time, every time in this church or in your home or wherever, you just look at the Bible and you kind of say, what does this book mean? Oh, it means I have a loving, gracious God that wants me to know all about him. Probably the most well-known memorial, if you will, or monument that we have is the cross right behind me. You have a big cross. You come into your church, there's a cross on the outside. What does that cross mean? That cross means that your Jesus loved you so much, paid for your sins by a death on a cross. That cross means that you and God are now one through Christ. Think of it. Never in your life, never once in your life, have you seen someone wear, let's say, as a necklace, a symbol of an electric chair or a guillotine. But you see crosses, necklaces, lapels, on suits, on churches, printed on books. Why that symbol of murder? What does that mean? Well, you know what it means. And you thank God that you know what it means. And if someone asks you, well, why are you wearing that necklace with a cross? Wow, isn't that opening up the door just like these people in Israel? What's that pile of stones doing out there? Ah, I'm glad you asked. You can tell them. And since we're talking about stones, maybe we should talk about one special stone. It was a stone that on Easter Sunday was moved. It was moved and opened up an empty tomb. And the fact that that stone was moved, what does that mean? That means God keeps his word. It means sin is forgiven. It's God's exclamation point that you and he are one. It means that You will live forever. 
What does that stone move away? Where does it end? We could be here till next Sunday, couldn't we? In that text, God says, when the future generations ask what these stones mean, then you are to respond. You are to tell them. And that means sharing. You will share what those stones mean. You will share what this book means, what the cross means, in different words than I do or will. But God blesses that nonetheless. Maybe I'm kind of out of it, but I didn't hear about this little proverb until about two weeks ago. And it goes, you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in the seed. According to the bulletin, there were 93 people in church here last Sunday. You were the seed. How many apples are in that seed? I don't know. That's not my responsibility, nor is it yours. But just to respond, what do these things mean? Well, in a word, you have a loving, gracious, kind God who wants you to spend eternity with him. People, at the end of the sermon, by having you look at that penny again, there's a sequel to that story. About 20 years after that hospital was built with pennies, one of the very rich people, and there are a lot of them who come up to Manaqua to have a summer home to enjoy the beauty of the area. One of those people willed, that's the word, or bequest, bequeathed, a hospital, $19 million. The hospital that got started with pennies was funded with millions. At that time, according to the newspapers, it was the largest individual gift to a hospital of anywhere in the nation. And so back in 1973, if memory is correct, state-of-the-art four-story hospital was built in Little Woodruff where the hospital was started I can't help but think. We have all these memorials before us, simple memorial of stones, for example. One day, we're going to have, if you forgive me, the words state of the art. 
heaven. All the things that God has promised to you are going to come to fulfillment. That hospital, the one built with pennies, some of my children were born there. They were given life. But Christ wants to give you real life. That hospital was used by my family and the newer one to keep us healthy and prolong our lives. But Jesus, the bread of life, wants to give you the eternal life. Maybe now we're dealing just with pennies. How do you know what the story of that penny is? Hopefully you know the story of what those stones are. But those stones were there to tell you, wow, what a God I am. What a Savior in Jesus. Does it get any better than that? Is it even better than a state-of-an-art hospital? That state-of-the-art hospital is now... I understand almost obsolete. But not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's yours as a gift. Okay? Amen.